Psalm chapter 30 tonight, and uh, we can bow our heads, and Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, our hearts are really overwhelmed, Lord, because uh, you have brought a special people here tonight that have special needs, and you are a very special Savior, and we acknowledge your provision and the amazing ways that you touch and reach, and I pray, Lord, that uh, tonight, even as the Word of God goes out, it can just uh, just speak to us where we're at and renew us in your power, Lord, and uh, give, us, uh, give us the taste of the freshness of your word again. Uh, this is, Lord, you've taught us that so many times that the word of the Lord could just be fresh like a fresh drink of water on a mountain stream. So we, we seek you tonight, Lord. We seek to uh, just... Lay ourselves at your feet as we open your word and we read it together and we just together share in this time of Bible study. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let's read this together, Psalm chapter 30. And if, I don't know if your Bible say this or not, but this was a Psalm that David probably wrote, a lot of people think that, right after he had his house built by Hiram. Hiram supplied many of the materials to build David's house. And he wrote this psalm looking back at what God had done. And it's just, a, it's a, in many ways, he's glancing back at what God has done, but also looking ahead to what God is doing. But he also shows us that, uh, as we've already seen, we see right here in our crowd tonight, that the road isn't always smooth. It's, it, it, it flows up and down. You have good times, bad times, difficult times. But the Lord is there. And so let's look at this together. David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you, you have brought me up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I have said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, I have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. As you look at this psalm, and we've been studying the psalms together, and you'll see a lot of parallels in how the psalm is written in light of other psalms we've looked at. We'll see the high points, the low points of David's life. We'll see the 
the trial, the testing, the joy. It, and as, you, as we notice, we're gonna, we want to end here tonight in verse 12 when David finally says, Lord, I'm going to give thanks to you forever. And ultimately, God's desire in our heart is no, not over, no, no matter where we are in the up and down, ultimately God's desire is that we're going to give thanks forever, okay, for in the very end. No matter where we, we go, where you find yourself, even tonight. But as we begin this, David uh, just says, I will extol, the word extol is exalt, magnify, glorify. I will extol you, O Lord. And then he gives a couple reasons for why he wants to magnify and extol and, and honor God. If you notice the first one, he says, you've lifted me up. He said, God, it was you who picked me up. And whenever we find ourselves in that place that we know God did it, there's really only one real response, and it's extolling the name of the Lord. And as you just go through our crowd here tonight, uh, there isn't anyone here that has not who has lived a Christian life very long that has not experienced God picking them up. Somewhere you did not think you could get up and you knew God picked you up. The way it happened, the way he touched you, the way he encouraged you. Uh, some of you can think of the times like David says, you've lifted me. Sometimes it has simply been the word of God coming into your heart at a place that he goes, this is amazing, <laughs> Another time, it could just be a good word. I, I, think, of, I think of how the, the, even the, the Word of God says in Proverbs, a word um, gently spoken is like an apple of gold and a picture of silver. You can hear a good word, it'll pick you up. You can have a, a, a message, a good message. And we don't know what all David is referring to, but he is saying, you lifted me up, God. When we get back up, there is only one place to look, and that's to God. And he says, and, and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. And, and we've looked at this as we've, we've looked at the Psalms together, that surrounding David everywhere he was was enemies. In his, Christian, in his life, he never knew freedom from trial. If it, if it was there, it was just for a moment. It was fleeting and there was Saul again. If it was there, and there was someone in the kingdom rising up. But as he said, you lifted me up, and here it was, in that lifting, you protected me from enemies that wanted to destroy me. And then David goes on, and he says, but here's another reason that I, I just extol you. I cried to you for help. Tonight, we cried out to God for help right here. Uh, we, we cried out to God for help. The heart of the ones we're praying for have cried out to God tonight for help. And, but notice what David says here. He cried, I cried to you for help, and God, you healed me. And, and this is something so beautiful about the Christian's life is how we can go back and take an inventory. And this chapter seems to be a, a chapter that David, as he's looking at his house, he's reflecting back on what God has done. And here's this house that has been built by others, and yet it was a magnificent house, but he's looking back saying, wow, isn't it amazing what God has done in the course of time and where we have went as people? And I think of this so often that God will take us to these little crossroads of inventory, and we can call them spiritual inventory, and at that point, we just simply reflect back 
we look ahead, we see God, we see where he delivered us, he raised us up, he protected us. So many times God meets us in an intersection we never knew he was going to be at. If he wouldn't have been there, there'd been a major collision. Some of us have amazing testimonies of how God has done that, and David did too, and he says, and you, you, I cried to you, you healed me, but notice how low, low David got, and I think we'll look at this word so we can understand this a little bit, when he said, oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Now Sheol in the Hebrew is, is, a, is a word for, a, is, it was the word that was referenced for hell in Hebrew. It was a word that is referenced for the waiting place of darkness for the dead. It wasn't a resting place. It was a place of darkness and despair and hopelessness. And this is what David says, Lord, I cry to you, you healed me, and then you brought, me up, brought up my soul from Sheol. And Sheol from David's side was he just for a time was so heavy and the weight was so strong on him that it was just darkness. And he's saying, God, you've lifted me right out of that Sheol. You have, you have just abundantly delivered. It's interesting that Sheol is a, uh, is a word used many times in the Bible, but uh, one, of the, one of the places we find in the Bible was with Jonah when he went, was taken and he was thrown overseas and he was swallowed by the whale. Now, Sheol has a reference not only that, that those, the Hebrews, the, the Israels would have seen it as a place like hell, but they also saw it as that which would possess the heart when you're overwhelmed. And now, 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 now Jonah, remember, he, he was thrown over sea, overboard. The big fish swallowed him up. Most people say whale, but the, the fish swallowed him up. And as the fish swallows him up, Later, he looked back at his deliverance, and he said, out of the belly of Sheol, or the pit, I cried out to you, God. And he says, God, you delivered me from the pit of hell. Now, he wasn't in hell. He was in a whale's belly. But for, for in his own mind, he was in a condition so dark and hopeless with no way out, it was like hell. And oftentimes when we think of the word Sheol, it is a reference to these conditions that will possess the human heart. But it also speaks about that which, and I want to look at one, a couple of verses with us like this, that which a person, it is speaking about a hell in the Hebrew. And if we turn and look in our Bibles in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 5, we'll see if you, if you want to flip over there with me, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 5. One of the places the word Sheol is mentioned is in reference to a temptation that can be, be, uh, be very deadly in, in our lives. And if you, in verse five, we'll begin reading. Uh, in verse three, it says, the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. Her steps take hold of, the, in the Hebrew, hell. It's saying she'll drag you down. 
she's going down. It's just a very clear expression that the darkness through which can envelop a soul when we play with fire is amazingly um, serious. Another one in Proverbs 727, look with me at one more. And there's many, but I'm just, we're, we're, we're lingering here, here, here for just a moment. Maybe verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside from 24. Now, therefore, my sons, listens to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, or in the Hebrew, hell, descending to the chambers of death. And once again, uh, Solomon is saying, this is a Sheol. This is a very dark place. This is an abode where there's no hope. It's just a, it's a place without God. Now, in, in the New Testament, you have a parallel word called Hades, and Hades has a very similar application to the word Sheol. And, and, and we don't, in, in, this, in this place in, in the Old Testament, we're speaking of Sheol, but in the New, we're looking at another word called Hades. There's three different words here that really refer to hell. But, if, but one of these examples of Hades that I want to flip in our Bibles to Luke 16, 23, just to get a Hades reference and it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we'll begin reading verse 19 of Luke 16. And it says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, now I believe other translations there will even use the word hell instead of Hades. The, the King James will say, and in hell he lifted up. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus on his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. And it goes on, and, and Lazarus, Lord, the Lord answers the rich man. But once again, he is speaking about this place, not of comfort, but of torment. Not of joy, but hopelessness. Not of light, but darkness. And this is the Hades that we find in the Bible as we look at the spectrum of what the Word of God teaches in hell. And we're just we're lingering and taking a little side trail on this just simply because David here in the 30th Psalm says, Lord, you brought my soul up out of that hell. Now, it wasn't a little literal hell, but probably in the heart of David during this time, and I would guess even tonight here, there has been times that people have went through special journeys, and you go, I was thinking about this this afternoon, so, so share it, because this is something, think about this sometimes, when it gets really dark, you can't even hear a bird sing. Everything gets quiet. And I remember a time of deep darkness in a major testing in our, in our Christian life, 
And I still remember that first time I heard a bird and we were uh, where we lived and I just heard a bird and I go, wow, there's birds here. And so this darkness can come over everyone's it can, can come over his soul. But David here is speaking, and we're seeing that here was a king. Here is the one anointed by God who is opening up his life in the Psalms and saying, you can look at me. You can look. I'm, I'm not going to hide it. And you're going to see that I have got really, really low at times. And I would guess most people here could testify to that on different levels. And as, we, and as we look at this, now there is one other, in, in regards to the, the one last word that's used in the Bible that we want to reference, and it's the word Gehenna. And this word is in reference to this lake of fire that we find even referenced later in, in the book of Revelation. And it is that final lake of fire where the, the word of God will say, uh, there's no hope. None of these verses in one sense, but this one here is a final expression of the consummation of unbelieving men and women who have rejected the Lord Jesus. And there's a verse in Matthew 10, 28. Uh, if, you have, if you have your Bibles open, I was going to put these on the screen for you, but I thought, well, we can get a little exercise. 10, 28, uh, I believe it's Matthew. Yeah, Matthew 10, 28, you'll see one here regarding Gehenna. And it, it is this other reference. In the, in the Greek, we find this amazing reference that no one wants to uh, uh, ever deal with. But in verse 26, it says, Therefore do not fear them. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. It says there's going to be all, kind, all kinds of things are going to happen. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And then Jesus says this, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him. This is God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, Gehenna, the ultimate judgment, the final hell of all hells the literal hell, the place that people go who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord here is saying, fear, the, fear him. Now there's another verse in Matthew uh, 5, 2, 2, just a 5.22, that we can get this picture again. And it says, verse 21, it says, you have heard that the, what the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits a murder shall be liable to the court. But Jesus, and this is what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, often you have the but I says, but I say, but I say, but I say. He is emphasizing stronger, more powerfully. And here he says, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the Gehenna, the fiery hell, the hell of all hells, the place that the unbelieving go for eternity. And one of the things that, uh, that this word re references is a valley that's over outside of Israel, what's called the Valley of Hinnon. 
And in the Valley of Hinnon was the garbage dump at the time that Jesus was there. And it never quit burning. And people brought all their garbage and dumped it in the garbage dump. And what you had was a sweltering, smoking, stenching, repulsive situation going over there, burning everyone's garbage. And when Jesus spoke of Gehenna, the people knew that's the place. It's like that. It's, it just keeps burning. Because one of the verses in the Bible says, it's where even the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. It just keeps burning and burning and burning. So let's keep going here and look, look a little further of this. He says, you've kept me alive, verse 3 in Psalm 30, that I would not go down to the pit. And then David says, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones. And he has is, he is, he is referenced God's deliverance and how he had lifted him up. He didn't let his enemies have dominion. He had been healed by God. And I believe even tonight with those that we have prayed over, you will experience some lifting up. God works differently than we see sometimes, but you will experience that because God answers prayer. And what, and what David is saying here, then he says, because of this, you kept me alive, that went down to the pit. And he says, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. And the expression that is coming, the result of the lifting up, the result of the healing, the result of the answered prayer or coming out of the pit is praise. And we notice this. It is, to me, it is a wonderful privilege for God's children to praise God when God has delivered. There is so many ways. We talk about witnessing for Jesus. When we can praise him, when we have been delivered or our family has been delivered, our friends have been delivered, and we have seen it, we have experienced it, you have, a, you have a tremendous testimony to people who are struggling to say, where is God in all of this, whatever this means? And, he, and in verse 5, he says, his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. And I love that uh, because no matter where we're at, there is a place that for a moment, it really does hurt. I think one time Paul even said it like this in in Romans, he said, I, I would guess or I would reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed someday. It, it, it won't come close. It's for a moment. That might be for a really tough week. It might be for a really tough year. It might be for our life in certain places. But here is what, he, what he's saying is, his weeping may, may last the night, but here comes that. His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. And I, I know that we understand that as David did. We understand what it's like to go, to go to bed with a heavy heart. But then he says, joy comes in the morning. And I don't know how many times each of you, it, it, would, be, it would be amazing to say, okay, time out, we're done tonight. Just get up and talk about joy in the morning. It would be amazing right here. The places you would say, wow, I didn't know I, I, would, I would get up and get that fresh look at God. The morning is the freshness even of all of a sudden, there it is. You're hearing the birds. 
the grass. I mean, Dev and I live right into the desert. And so we're looking right at the desert. And the desert right now is just shouting God after this rain. It's just declaring God. And here David is saying, weeping endures, but joy comes. It comes in the morning. You know, there's times we think, well, I guess we probably all know people like this. There have been some great examples to me in the Christian faith of men and women of God who have walked with God, and it never, ever left. Never. They just kept walking with the Lord. And they kept rejoicing in that. I have witnessed this in this church, too. Some of you may never know where people like me picked that up, that they're still rejoicing. They are finding joy in very imperfect circumstances because the Lord Jesus is in their heart. But there's another part of this that is so uh, powerful, and David will speak on this and touch on this throughout his writings, but we'll see it. Even Job would speak of this. Paul would shout of this as he wrote, he wrote the epistles, and that is, there is coming a better day. Sister, I am guaranteeing you by the word of God, there's a better day. It doesn't matter what's going on today. And the word of God just simply says, our light affliction, that which is here just for a moment, works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And I don't know what all that means. All I know is David said it like this later in the Psalms. He said, I don't know a lot about eternity, but there's one thing I know that when I wake up in the likeness of the Lord, I will be satisfied completely. I love those verses in Revelation toward the end where, where the, John was writing, he says, I see this new heaven, the new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. And then he says something really interesting. There was no more sea. And you say, wow, why did he mention the sea? And he says, he goes on and says, there'll be no more tears, and God wipes them all away. That's the morning. No more tears. No more suffering. No more miscarriages. No more disease. No more famine. No more heartache. No more broken relationships. But John says, I looked out there, and there he was in on the Isle of Patmos writing that, the book of Revelation, he was looking toward Ephesus where the believers were that he had served and worshiped with many years. And he says, I stand here and write this and there is no more sea. You say, see what was separating John from the believers? The sea. He couldn't get to them. He had no ability. He had been put in prison on an island. He had no ability to get to the believers. And John was saying, and I stand here, and I'm waiting for that morning. It may never be here, but the day is going to come, and God's going to wipe away every tear from everyone's eye, and there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more famine. The old things are passed away, and everything is new in Jesus Christ. And we see that today in the Spirit. We see that spiritually by faith. We partake of it in so many ways as we say, I'm going to believe. But the word speaks of a literal time when faith has turned to sight and prayer to praise, and it's gone. God has just wiped it away in every way, and you see everything perfectly. Amazing how God works that way. Amazing. 
But here, here it was that David was just simply saying, there will be joy in the morning. And I want to leave us, with, I want to leave us that comfort tonight in the Holy Spirit that it doesn't matter where we're at. There's a better day coming. You know, there was a day that I, I remember, there was a time when I, uh, one of the songs that just used to go with me, you're not home yet, my children, keep your eye on the Savior. Just a few more years and you're going to sit down by the river. You know, some of us are closer there than we ever think we are. And David saw that too. And he saw that morning coming, that bright morning. And it's not here. The morning, that final morning isn't here. The day when God wipes away every tear from the eyes. And yet David was speaking about, yet I can get up in the morning and I can find joy yet. You ever notice it doesn't take much. God can just touch you in a certain way and you feel that blessing. Catch you with a cool breeze. Catch you with just that one little taste of his refreshing water of life and you're ready to go again. And you, th and you can be there and think, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this again. And then he touches you and you know, and there's that morning. But there's a better morning. This is the word of God always says that. All these mornings keep pointing to the better. All these all of these trials point to the time there's no trial. But David is looking back and seeing God and seeing how he had worked in his life and how he'd been blessed and yet how he'd been tested. Have you ever noticed that God sandwiches his blessings between testings? It's an amazing thing. He blesses sandwiched around and surrounded by testings. And in verse six now, David says, but as for me, I said in my prosperity, and I don't know what all he was thinking about there. He was established as the king. He had a throne. But I wonder if that's really what he was thinking about. I wonder if he wasn't thinking about the reality that I have just been God is so good. I've been blessed so richly. I don't deserve his love like this. I don't deserve his kindness like this, his favor like this. But he said, but here's what David said. I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. And if you look at that, it's almost like, hold it. Was that almost like boasting? Was David like, okay, I'm not gonna be moved in this prosperity. Or is he gonna say, I'm not gonna let whether it's the low or the high crest of the trail, take me off of my focus and my trust and my walk with the Lord Jesus. Some of you here like to hike. I can look out there. Some of you are hikers. You enjoy the mountains. I enjoy the mountains. And to get to those beautiful peaks, you've got to hit the valley before you get to the top of the mountain. And all the way up at the very top of that mountain, you've got rocks and you've got canyons and you've got twists and you've got turns that you could stumble on, you could fall on. And when you finally hit the top of that mountain, and I think about this over in the white tanks where, where we live, and you can look from the top of that mountain back and go, wow, that is so amazing. But David here is just simply saying, whether I'm on the top of that mountain or wherever I am, I'm not going to be moved. 
This is just goes with the Christian life. It's somewhere within everyone's life and heart here in a quiet way. You have been overwhelmed by the blessings of God. Unspeakable. You couldn't even utter them because they were too rich and full. They spoke in such a powerful way. And David just came to that point. I'm going to say, even in that top of the mountain experience, whatever it is, I won't be moved. Now, there's another, there's another place here that probably is good for all of us to check, and that is in the midst, God told the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 8, when you go into the land, you receive everything God's given you, and you have ate the fat of the land, and everything's there. Don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget them. And sometimes we can get to that point that that's been so good. Life's good. And yet God has a beautiful way of touching us and bringing us back to a point that we see him and we recognize that, Lord, I must trust you. I don't want to be moved off that target. Verse 7, O oh Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. I don't know what if, if we just went through here tonight and said, okay, everybody say what you think that mountain was. Was that a place, was that a focal point that David looked at in his kingdom, the kingdom that he was in? It may have been. There was a mountain. You know, for us, where our back door goes out, there is the top of the white tanks. 4,200 feet, 43, right there it is. There is the mountain. There is that mountain. And here, David says, Lord, you have made my mountain that high point to stand strong. Lord, you did it. Sometimes in the Christian's lives, like Paul, Paul references this as he speaks about uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He speaks about running the race and looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, keeping our focal point at the top. You know, if we look just a little below Jesus, we're going to keep looking lower. And here it was that, that David is saying, Lord, you have made it that my mountain, the very mountain that you have given me is not going to be moving. It's to, what is that? That is something that doesn't move. It's unshakable. It stands there every day. It's right there. When I look at the mountain, it can be... You know, it, it could be, even for we Christians, it can be very precious this way. It can be the Word of God. The Word of God endures forever. It doesn't change. Forever, the Word is settled in heaven. It's like a rock, an anchor. It's a strong fortress. It's a tower. The righteous run into it. They're safe. It could be so much moves, and you know that. So much moves, but God doesn't move. And as David was referring to the mountain here, he was referring to the strength and power of God. And I don't know, he doesn't go further and say, well, that happened to be Mount whatever. That happened to be over there. It happened to be this part of the kingdom. And I love this in the word of God because that gives us all the ability to look to the mountain. And many times when we look to the mountain, it's simply that unmovable place that faith can lock and know it's not gonna move there. He's never gonna leave us and forsake us. He's our God, he's our refuge, he's our comfort, he's our strength. And here David says, you made my mountain to stand strong. And you hid your face and I was dismayed. And, and think of that for a moment because um, 
I'm one of these guys who've been reading Oswald Chambers for about 30 years, okay? Uh, my utmost is highest. It's kind of, it starts deep and it just keeps on speaking to my heart. Now after 30, 35 years of reading that, it's still speaking to my heart. But one of the things that Chambers will, will write about often and it'll just keep coming back is the special quietness of God. Sometimes for a moment, it seems as if he is not even speaking. No one's talking. It's quiet. There's nothing there. And yet he will, he will tap into that and speak of the tremendous blessing of that quietness. When we can learn to rest in him and find comfort at the mountain. And but he is silent. He is not speaking. Just like two good friends and one is in a special place and they walk together and the other friend for a while says there's nothing really to say. Just walk with Jesus. I'll walk with Jesus. You walk with Jesus. And here it is that David is, is saying, you hid your face. I was dismayed, but to you, O Lord, I called and to the Lord I made supplication. God, I cried out to you. And I kept going to you. And one encouragement here tonight for those that are in special places at special times, and I thank you for opening your heart tonight, and it probably could have kept going. Just keep crying out to God. Just keep crying out to God. It's okay. It don't matter where you're at. Cry out to God. Encourage your friend to cry out to God. Let her see you cry out to God so that she can cry out to God. And here it was that David was simply... Uh, speaking of, Lord, I made the supplication. And then he spoke about, it seems if he was a reference to almost the futility of death. Remember, he had not seen the resurrection of Jesus yet. He had not seen the promises that came through the cross. When he wrote verse nine, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Lord, if I die, then what's left? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Well, as a Christian, you can shout, I win through Jesus. You see, in the Christian's life, you win either way. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, I gain. I, I gain. If I die, I gain. You can't lose. It's a win-win proposition in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ wins no matter which way it goes. God calls me out of here this year, I win. He says, you got 20 more years of win. Because as a Christian, we have the ability to live in Christ as winners today and yet when, when we go, through the, go across the finish line as triumphing through the grace of God. And this here David is just saying, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't entirely understand this. Will the dust praise you? Will you declare your, your faithfulness? And for a moment, he, he seems to express a, just a, almost a sense of, Lord, I don't get it. I, I feel helpless in all this. What's all this about? You live, you die, you go to dust. There's nothing left. You don't praise God. But then let's go to the end of this because this is what I love. And may God give us spiritual energy as we end here tonight. And, and I see Andy back there and Andy says, hey, if you get a chance, I'd rather wrap up a song. Well, Andy, guess what? You get to wrap up a song so you get ready. Okay, that's the deal, brother. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord. Be my helper. And David now turns and he all of a sudden he's looked to the dust. He's looked to death. He's looked to hopelessness. And now he says, oh Lord, be my helper. And then he again begins to speak about what God has done. 
Notice how he's wrapping up. Let's look at what God has done. You have turned for me my morning into dancing, God. The first thing, you have turned my morning into dancing. I'm now rejoicing. I'm walking on the higher points of the earth. I'm on the mountain of God, whatever that is called. I'm praising. Another thing is, you have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. And you have loosed that which was around me that was keeping me in bondage and holding me back from joy and praising you and leaving me like in a grave. And you've loosened that. It's not there anymore, God. It's gone. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm going to praise you for that. And he says that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. And then David ends this with just this triumphal battle cry of the, in the last verse, O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever, God. It's you who did it. You did it then. It's then you who's doing it now. It's you who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this evening, even though we come here and, and only a few of you have shared tonight, only a few, but in your heart, there's many that could share. And as we've came here tonight, and we have just again journeyed a little bit in Psalm 30 along the path of David, and actually next week, um, uh, Stuart, our Stuart that's here will, will lead us into 31 probably, but, but um, we're just walking through this little journey together, the path of David. We're seeing that... Uh, Life has its ups, it has its downs, it has its joys, it has its sorrows. But in the end, he wins, and because of that, we can rejoice. And it doesn't matter where we're at, what we're going through, he wins. And we're going to rejoice because of that. And I think even as we close off the last song, let's just rejoice and, and um, praise God.